Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of The Comics Comic, found wherever you can type The Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people with dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Sarah Schaefer is a critically acclaimed stand-up comedian, writer, and producer currently based in Los Angeles. She was the co-host of MTV's late-night show Nikki and Sarah Live, which was born out of a podcast she started with Nikki Glaser in her Brooklyn apartment. Sarah has won two Emmy Awards for her work at Late Night with Jimmy Fallon and a Writers Guild Award for Ed Helms' Comedy Central special, The Fake News with Ted Nelms. Sarah recently released her second comedy album, Live, Laugh, Love, and caught up with me in Los Angeles before getting back to work on our latest writing gig, an all-star tribute to Laughin' that will premiere on Netflix in May 2019. There's a lot to get to and not much time, so let's get to it! Sarah Schaefer, thank you for joining me on Last Things First. Thank you for having me. So, Last Things First, congratulations on your Writers Guild Award. Thank you so much. Um, really unexpected. Yeah, because... I did not think there, that was going to happen in any universe. <laughs> well, there wasn't a lot of buzz for the show, so... No, they didn't. It was sort of under the radar, and... Um, this was the I think fake was news with like, Ted Helms. Yes, and it was a really, really great writer's room. Probably the best writer's room I've ever been in, in terms of the caliber of people and the vibe. And Ed was so awesome to work with. It was, like, really intense two weeks of writing. Um, and they jammed it all into this special that I thought was really funny. <laughs> people can so, go look at it. So did, it all, so so did all of your fellow writers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Does the Writers Guild uh, Award go with the Emmys? Or does it end up in a separate place? Well, I technically only have one statue of an Emmy. Okay, I've um, seen it. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> um, the other one was like we got not like I both I won both Emmys for mm-hmm. Late Night with Jimmy Fallon. But the first time we just submitted the name Late Night with Jimmy Fallon. Like we mm-hmm. didn't realize like oh you had to give names and then each person gets a statue. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like I don't. So know if what, you didn't give them the name, they yeah, didn't I don't get a know statue. what the, I wasn't the one that like turned it in. Um, you know, I helped right. with the package that we put together to get it's, nominated, it's, but I did it's not amusing do the actual to, paperwork. It's amusing to realize that there's a bureaucracy involved with award yeah, applications. Yeah, I didn't know. Uh, I think we didn't know. Um, and then... Um, but you're still two-time Emmy Award yes, winner. Yes, I am. And, uh, in your bio. Three-time nominee. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, and Writers yeah. Guild Award winner and now. now Writers Guild. That. So the Writers Guild Award is definitely next to the Emmy. Yeah. Up on the on a shelf. And, and next to that is... Mm-hmm. Um, a plastic trophy that I won on the True TV show. <laughs> bunk? Wait, was no, it Bunk? Whoa, no, whoa. no, no, no. What is it called? <laughs> Which one? <laughs> the one by hosted by Damian Lemon. Oh, okay, the Knockout. Um, Comedy Knockout. knockout. Yeah. <laughs> so it's really funny because it's like this cheap plastic <laughs> thing that doesn't even really mean anything. And, mm-hmm. and I didn't win. There are no points on that show. It was just the right. symbolic, like, oh, you got the biggest laugh at the very end. So here's your <laughs> trophy. So I put that next to it. And it's funny. <laughs> That's and nice. I take my awards very seriously. Well, you know, <laughs> every that means counts. That means you're yeah. a real comedian, I am and not one of those comedian. celebrity interlopers who's always exactly. coming on the scene. Yeah. it's funny we're having another one of those debates about who deserves to oh. headline a comedy club. Oh, we um, are. Yeah. Oh, I haven't been paying attention. Tell me <laughs> what's going on. Uh, well, uh, Stormy Daniels posted oh, that she please. was. I saw that. Yeah, and, it's like, and everyone's I, making a to do like, over it. Oh, congrats! Just you know, well, because look, there's 52 weeks out of the year. 
that's 52 comedians per club mm-hmm. and uh, in terms of like having a weekend a right. headlining weekend and it's really really competitive yeah. and it's hard to get into those clubs and you know but the business has changed in a way that clubs um, people don't go to comedy shows just to go to them they have to know mm-hmm. the name or at least be slightly interested and to be fair she does have a weeknight it's a one nighter I saw it. It was, it was a one-nighter. <laughs> so two, like two shows, though. Two shows. Hey, they're giving some tickets. But yeah, even those spots are competitive. Yeah, you know, right. so it's like uh, I think comedians get frustrated because it's like you're taking away opportunities from people who like have are serious about this art form, like but, Jeremy Piven. But those clubs the also serious have to, comedians. I know. <laughs> and Screech, you know. Yeah. Um, there's <laughs> like, but the, also the clubs have to stay in business. So. Right. You know, look, if they're going to give a couple weekends a year to somebody who's just like, basically, it's a freak show to come see. Now, I don't mean calling the person a freak, right. but like, oh, let's go see the famous person. It's like, what is actually going on during that show? I don't know. But is it keeping the club afloat? Probably. <laughs> I mean, I've seen that happen, though, even in on the regular in, in comedy clubs across the country where they'll have like the local weatherman perform. Because yeah. they're a TV personality, yeah. so yeah. and people are more excited to see them than the comic. Yeah, but mm. they don't have Writers Guild Awards or an Emmy no. Award. No, I'm better. And now you have everywhere. a and now you have a new uh, your second album. I do, yeah. Grammy eligible. <laughs> yeah, Grammys. Yeah, um, definitely going to win a Grammy. There's no doubt about it in my mind. It's really in the bag already. Um, now. Um, I know you also recorded a half hour this year for Comedy Central. Was there any calculus in terms of, like, putting out the album Mm -hmm. now instead of waiting? Um, No, well, part of me just didn't want... Some of the material on the album felt um, relevant, and I just didn't want to wait. Okay. Because I also had no... uh, I I don't know currently when the half hour will be airing. Right. I just decided to release the album separately. There is some overlap of material on the two, but... Each one has um, plenty of unique material on it. Right. They, they stand a, apart from each other. And it's just a different medium. So the album is way more relaxed and loose and intimate. And the half hour will be polished. For and, a taped audience. Yeah. It's yeah, all yeah. hooped up. Yeah. Um, now, when I first met you, it was when I, I moved to New York City in 2007. And it felt to me like you were already making it or doing at the time, it at the time because you're really like oh i've made it yeah you're on that well that's what i wanted to ask you you're like you were you were on aol which yeah. was still a big deal yeah in 2007 was, and you were on there talking to like you had the talk show yeah talking little, to all like, the celebrities show with people um did you well and it, it was the job that let me quit my day job so that was my main goal at that time was just to not work well that's good to know that the, to just to that even aol money was enough Back yeah, then. it was enough, um, and it was the goal. But then AOL, I'm amazed it lasted as long as it did. It lasted a year, and then they canceled it. And um, I had to go back to my day job, but it was temporary. Okay. Know, I went, um, I was able to do, like, four-day weeks. I worked out an arrangement with the people I went back to work for. Okay. And um, then within, I don't know, nine months after that, I had... My, a, a job writing for Best Week Ever TV, the blog. Nice. Um, and that, so yeah, a lot of my first stuff was in that digital, at the time, very new space. But when you were doing the AOL thing, were you thinking, okay, this is a stepping stone to having a TV talk show? 
what was um, the what well, was the yeah, goal I mean, then? I really wanted to host a show. Um, I had kind of lowered my expectations because I realized, like, oh, you have to be famous already to get a talk show. I just didn't right. know. That's how what I remind my mom every yeah. time she tells me. And I was like, oh, that's not going to happen. But maybe I can write for a show or work on one, and that's how you know everything kind of led. But um, you know, over the years, I'd had various meetings with. You know, I remember very early on, before the AOL thing even, I had a meeting with um, with VH1, and I was, like, talking about how I wanted to have a talk show. Right. It was a general. Like, it wasn't... Um, looking back, I didn't really understand the meaning of a general meeting, <laughs> which is, you know, you just go and meet with someone and then you never see them again. But um, <laughs> it was just for just them to find how do you do? Yeah. yeah. To be like, oh, I know you're in the business and maybe you we can work together one day. And then... So um, you felt... In, in retrospect, you felt bad about pitching in that? No, I just... I wasn't really pitching. I was just talking about what I wanted. Yeah. And... Um, the guy laughed at me and he was like, yeah, Kathy Griffin wants a talk show too. We're not giving her one. You know, this is in 2006, probably 2005 or six. Yeah. You know, and it's just like, oh, 2006 or seven. It was somewhere in that range. Right. And I was just like, wow, uh, (laughs) that really crushed me. Um, and what was so funny is that years later when I had my show with Nikki, we were on the same floor as that guy in the in their new Viacom like office building. Oh, nice! And I passed him, and I was like, and he tried to like act like he knew who I was, and I was like, I remember what you said. Look at me, bitch. <laughs> you know, now I'm. I'm it's not VH1, but it's MTV. It's right. Pretty close. You know, so. No, that uh, was a pretty amazing year for you. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. Uh, now I was I was privileged enough to be at one of. The you had to be there. Oh yeah. Episodes. <laughs> yeah. How did that start? Um, well, Nikki and I met at a party. Um, like it was a comedy people party, and um, it was a very crowded New York apartment. You know, we were like squeezing through to get to the bathroom, or mm-hmm. so you kind of end up being stuck where you are in the party to talk to whoever's happened <laughs> to be standing next to you, and it happened to be Nikki, and we had never really met before. We'd met once before, very briefly. Um, like at a show, right. but had not had a real conversation. So we knew e- who each other were, and then we just started talking. And we it was that party vibe, and we were bonding and, like, laughing about stuff. And then it was one of those, like, oh, my God, <laughs> I want to start a podcast. And she's like, me too. We should do one together. You know, it's like you're kind of – we weren't wasted or anything, mm-hmm. but, you know, you've had a couple of drinks or whatever. Yeah. And then it's like, bye. Oh, I'm serious. Okay. <laughs> we, ex- we exchanged phone numbers. Mm-hmm. And then the next day, we both texted each other like, actually, I'm serious. Like, this, we had such a good chemistry mm-hmm. just in that party of, like, making each other laugh. We're like, all right, let's, let's do it. So then we met, and we went over the idea that we had for it. Um, I had an idea for the concept, which was having people come and sit as an audience. Right. And then um, maybe having a musical guest. Um, which we ended up getting away from. But in the beginning, it was like one guest and then one musical guest, and it was in um, my living room. And then um, we we did it. We, like, actually followed through on one of those party moments, you know, where... You did you already have the up. equipment, or...? Um, I... Um, had one of, one of what you're using, I think, at some point. A Zoom... Yeah, I, I got, I think we got, there was an intern at Fallon that was really good. And I got, you were already working at Fallon at the time? Yes, I was okay. working at Fallon already. And um, he came and um, like recorded it for us. He okay. had like a little, 
board. Oh, right. I remember um, there being somebody. Yeah. Andrew. There. Yeah, yeah and in the corner. And he ended up being, um, it was great. Like, you know, internships sometimes pay off. Like, <laughs> Andrew was so good. He was, like, one of the best interns I'd ever, because at Fallon, you'd have so many interns right. coming in and out. There's the page the system and there's, yeah. And interns. then um, Andrew was just so good. He just would, like, I'd get to work and he'd already be there. And he's like, I organized the files that you, you know. <laughs> like, I didn't even ask you to do that. And you're already, like, you're making my life so much easier. And so I just remembered him as always being helpful. So I hired him on a couple things, um, video projects I was working on on my own. And mm -hmm. then I also hired him um, to be the the sound guy for our podcast. And there was some, like, bumpy, like, in the beginning, like, the one time Andrew didn't do it because he couldn't. Like, it didn't record properly. Uh, <laughs> it was really annoying. Yeah. You know, things like that. But um, then later I hired, we, Nikki and I hired Andrew. Um, okay to work on Nikki and Sarah. So it was really exciting to be able to like, when you, when you started the along. podcast, did you two have, uh, grand ambitions for it? Um, no, we just wanted you to just, do a podcast. Yeah. yeah. And it wasn't until probably a year into it that we were like, um, let's try to pitch a TV show. And then did already there, did already working on a TV show help give you insight into Oh, what it took um, to somewhat. do? Um, yeah, I mean, because what was your what was your official role at head late blogger. night with? Yeah, <laughs> I was in charge of all the digital media. Um, but that was still such a new concept for yeah, late night. It was. Um, it totally was, and then um, which is why you got the Emmy because you were doing things <laughs> yeah. that other shows weren't doing. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's why. Um, he, yeah, he definitely embraced it in a way that nobody else had on that level. So. Um, that definitely made a huge difference. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, there's someone getting money out of an ATM right next to us. Um, it's all right, as long as he gets some for us. Time it is. Okay, five minutes. Okay. Um, so your, what was your philosophy in terms of the Fallon website, though? Um, well, because I'd worked at Best Week Ever before that. Mm -hmm. um, our philosophy there was that the website always reflects the show, the tone of the show, but the website is independent of the show as well and has its own content that we wrote. And it had, a, the blog at Best Week Ever had its like own fans, like right. it had a little community of people that were, just liked our website. And I don't know if they You and Michelle Collins. Yeah, and me, Michelle Collins, Alex Black, yeah. um, Dan, um, Weiner? Poor Dan. I'm forgetting his Weiner? last name. <laughs> no. Um, there's, yeah, there's another guy. Um, so anyway, we, uh, at Fallon, it was much different. You know, it was, it started out with the same spirit, but became, when they, over time, it evolved and we realized it really served a function to just promote show stuff and having, we did, having its own independent content right. with our own personalities injected into it wasn't really what was needed. It was just needed to be Jimmy, you know, and, or stuff with the guest backstage right. stuff. Um, we came up with stuff that had to do with like, adjacent stuff from the show so like if there was a character on the show we were like well let's do a little side video with this character but we tried a million different things when did you start doing like the hashtags and things like that um, or twitter oh that was the segment twitter. on the show so actually the bloggers weren't a part of it the writers did it wow there was there there yeah, over time there became like you know this is your role this is their role mm -hmm. this is you know and there was um that's just the nature of those things when you're doing something experimental but yeah we really didn't 
um, do the hashtag thing. Okay. We, we did, we helped with it, like, physically, logistically, right. but, like, it wasn't really, we didn't choose them or anything like that. But no, it really became, like, did. the first interactive Yeah, and there was stuff on the late show. Late night and show. And we were, like, allowed to pitch ideas for the show, and some of them would, you know, um, make its way somehow, mm-hmm. morph into something on the air, and we would collaborate a lot. It was very exciting. We were part of the writers' meetings. We were really embedded with the show. And they kind of saw us as, like, just the ones that knew how to do stuff so they'd right. be like hey can you come downstairs and film this thing you know like we <laughs> all had flip cams and back when there were flip cams yeah. you know um, so it was like and you know it was really exciting and like every every day was a new adventure um, and a lot of stuff failed and that we tried and or didn't even end up being approved you know we'd come up like Jimmy would come into our office and mm-hmm. come up with this, some funny idea and then we'd actually write it up and get it ready to shoot, and it'd be like, nah, we don't have time for that, or, you know, like, whatever. So there was, like, right. it was similar um, to what a writing experience would be like on a show like that, where a lot of your ideas get rejected, or you get all the way to shooting it, and then it gets cut from the show last minute, or sure. whatever. So it was a good prep on that. Yeah, so when when you and, and Nikki first had the idea mm-hmm. to try to pitch, mm-hmm. you had to be there for TV yeah. Did you have a better sense of how to do that or what you wanted oh, to? Oh, no. We didn't know what we were doing. I, I didn't know. Working on a late night show, a network late night show, did not prepare me for creating a cable show or pitching it. Mm-hmm. The pitching was not something I had done a lot of. So, um, But we knew that, um, I mean, I knew the basics of what was involved in a talk show. Obviously, from working at Fallon, I was yeah. just very aware of that. And interviewing celebrities yourself. Yeah, and and I, yeah, interviewing wasn't going to be an issue for me um, or Nikki, but um, but yeah, we just put together what we thought would be our idea of a show, Um, kept it pretty vague, and um, yeah, so we had had a couple, we had uh, some press for our podcast, and we had a viral video right before we pitched, so it that was all part of it, and MTV was looking for something like that at the time, and. It all just came together, which was really lucky. Because and now realizing years later, like how rare it is to get a show on the air. I mean, yeah. I knew then, but now I really know after being around the block several times since then. And it started out being live too. It did. It was really crazy. Which is yeah. Which <laughs> yeah. to do a live show in Times Square yeah. from like the site really of TRL intense. and. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what did you? What did you? What did you learn the most from that year? Because you got um, to do. Um, Not only I the show, but then you're part of the MTV universe. Yeah, like you're at so the weird. you're at the VMAs, which they did in Brooklyn with Miley Cyrus before she yeah, does her no, crazy it was thing. The, the year of the uh, the it was the year of that. <laughs> yes. Um. Um. I guess I. Le- I mean, God, I learned so much. Most of it was personal life lessons. Of sure. Like what battles to fight in your life and when you were firing on all cylinders what to do um, those are huge especially you know since you moved to, from New York to Hollywood it did yeah <laughs> to like to figure out how to maneuver a life in yeah. show business yeah yeah so um, I, yeah I learned just that I loved making TV that much I know that <laughs> but yeah does it, it does it matter to you as much now whether you're on air or Oh, or behind camera? camera, yeah. Um, no, it doesn't matter. And it didn't matter that much to me then either. It just was what was the opportunity was in front of me. So I did it because mm-hmm. I wanted to. Um, but now I'm, I like being behind the camera too. I mean, that was one of my favorite parts of doing the talk show was that it was um, 
all hands. It was just like firing on all cylinders. Every single part of my brain was being used. All my skills were being put into play, and I love that. That's the type of stuff I want to be doing, not just where I'm filling in a, for one piece of it. I want to, when every job I do, I'm, I'm involved, I produce. I don't just write a line and then turn it in and sit back. I go the extra mile. I make sure everything is the way I want it to, if I have control. Usually right. I'm up against, you know, where I'm, I don't have the control that I thought I would have, or it's, you know, it's up to a point and then it's out of your hands. Right. But, you know, every job is different. How, how well are you at, at, at letting go? Um, I've gotten like way you better do your part and then you Fallon was a place where I was really deeply emotionally invested, mm-hmm. and it ended up being a place where... For me, I, I needed to move on to something else, like to step up in job title. Like sometimes you get stuck somewhere, they, you're just good at what you're doing and right. they need you to keep doing it because they trust you to do that particular job right. and they don't want to move you out of that job. It's a risk. <laughs> Even though you're I mean, like, like, but I would be great as a monologue writer. Right, exactly. Like it would make, it, would, it, it made sense But if we do me. that, then what are we going to do yeah. with the website? Yeah. I mean, there was, that's a common thing in all jobs, you know, that you get, you hit a ceiling and then they don't want to move you past that. So I knew I had yes, to leave. Yes, I can identify with that. Yeah, I knew I had um, to leave to, like, make a jump. When the, when the MTV thing ended, did, was there any part of you that worried about what was going to happen next? I mean, always. I'm always worried that, you know, suddenly um, this business is so unstable that, like, that I'm just... They'll, and I did. I went a whole year after MTV and not working. But I was developing, and it was um, a long road I, I, of two TV show pitches. One went all the way to pilot... And did not get picked up, and one went all the way to script and did not go further. Mm. And it was, you know, that was a two-year process for right. all that. And it was really, really sad because I thought, oh, no, MTV was my only chance. And now I'm realizing it It might have been my only chance, time to have a talk show. I don't know if I'll do a talk show again, but <laughs> def- it definitely def- wasn't my only time def- to work on one. Definitely your know? only time to be on MTV because they just... <laughs> Yeah, I, I think I might have aged out of yeah. MTV by this point. Um, I was barely... Hopefully, yeah. <laughs> barely, yeah. Um, um, well, yeah, I, I know you have to go to work on your next award-winning gig, but before you go, I wanted to make sure to ask you, you've been such a passionate voice the last few years yeah. online about comedy and mm-hmm. for comedy. Mm-hmm. What drives you to do that? Because um, there's not a lot of people willing to step up yeah. and... Um, either as support, yeah, sometimes either as, su- as yeah. either as support by mm-hmm. just giving advice to people mm-hmm. in terms of like mm-hmm. you did a thing years ago about submitting yeah. for late night, mm-hmm. but then you've also been a voice like speaking out against injustices. Yeah, yeah I have to um, choose my battles on that because sometimes, um, I mean, I'm just like anybody else in this business where I'm trying to make a living, and so much of our business is based on relationships. So if you if you're off spouting online about something and you don't know who's reading that, mm-hmm. you know, something to consider, you know, some people would argue, well, we will never make a change if we don't, if we're quiet. And right. it's like, well, there's if two ways. There's, uh, there's many ways to make change. You can be loud, which I am sometimes, mm-hmm. or you can be um, strategic, which my strategy overall is to just keep working and get in positions of power so I can actually give jobs to people that are right. underrepresented which is a real difference in someone's life, not just talk. So I try to combine the two 
Um, right, you have to get people in the pipeline. Yeah, give opportunities when I can to people who are not represented. Um, and But sometimes you're not in a position to do that. And then other times you need to use your voice or share your platform with someone who, whose needs voices need ampl- amplify, amplification. Um, so, yeah, there's different ways to do it. And sometimes I don't have the energy to speak on every little thing. <laughs> and then sometimes I don't say anything because I'm not sure how I feel about it. So I'm, I'm mature enough to know that silence is an option. Some people don't know that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what would your advice be to, to the young people? To young comedians in general? Yeah. Well. One, in terms of getting in the business, but two... Like, in terms of knowing when, what battles to pick. I know. I, I definitely felt like I had to lecture someone a while back who was complaining about how much work a, a writing packet was going to be for submitting to a show. That How dare they expect us to do all this in mm-hmm. such a short amount of time? And technically, it's against Writers Guild rules and da-da-da. And, you know, and I'm like, okay, you've got a point, and you, you're probably right, but this is what this job is asking for, and so if mm. you don't want the job, then don't submit. Like, right. you know, so... This, is, this will be your life sometimes four, four you or might, five nights, four or five days a week. Right. Sometimes you can say, hey, this isn't worth it for me right mm. now to do this work, um, to get the job, and then other times you, you're going to stay up all night getting it done because you really want it, so... Well, thanks for uh, thanks for. Uh, yeah, and it got loud right on time. <laughs> yeah, I think that's our cue. Yeah. Thanks, right, Sarah. Thank you, Appreciate Sean. it. All right, Get back to work. This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music by Camille Harris and Shockwave. Logo by Giggle Chick. Please check out my website, thecomicscomic.com, for more interviews, reviews, and comedy news. Become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean O. McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Last things first. Last things first.